And I would totally love it if you turn in your Bibles to uh, Paul's letter to uh, the Corinthians, first letter to the Corinthians, and chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, then uh, see if you can sneak over the side of someone else who has a Bible. If not, the stuff will come up on, on the screen. And, and what I want to do today is, is teach some stuff, both from that passage in uh, Revelation that we just read, and uh, the passage in 1 Corinthians in chapter 15. Yet in the dark street shining is everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. It's a bit early, but I want to talk tonight about hopes and fears. I want to talk about hopes and fears because we live in an interesting, disturbing, and uh, epoch-changing times. Uh, Social commentators talk about VUCA times, V-U-C-A. We live in volatile, uncertain, complex, and angry times. And uh, whatever side you fall down on, uh, people will, will, will show you that Brexit, at least in part, was volatile, uncertain, complex, and angry, or at least has caused that. Uh, the, the election recently in America uh, has caused and will cause volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and possibly comes, at least in part, from anger. And, uh, and then when you look at the world in which we live in, Putin... Putin has amassed 330,000 troops and positioned them on the borders of Western Europe right now. Volatile, uncertain, complex, and angry times. We, we live in times that are deeply uncertain. The political commentators will say, well, they'll argue. They'll say, we're not sure whether this is a time akin to the fall of the Berlin Wall or it goes back much further than that. We haven't had a time like this since then. The economic commentators are discussing this week following the autumn statement if we will have the worst ever decade since the end of the Second World War as far as real uh, economic stability is concerned. And spiritual commentators are having discussions which go something like this. We are in the same kind of times with the same kind of context as the reformers faced 500 years ago with a Europe that was deeply concerned about the rise and overtake of Islam, with a Europe that was deeply concerned with rising nationalism, and see that all over the place, with, with a Europe that had just discovered a, an, a, a radical individualism because of the invention of the printing press. And, and, and there is the temptation that we could be hopeless and have a significant amount of fear at this time because nobody knows what to do. I mean, people say they know what to do, but no one knows what. I have a good friend who um, I, I met last week who's significantly involved in some of the leading financial houses in the world. And he, he tells me that he, was, he, um, he had just been involved in gathering a meeting in New York. Um, and in that meeting of about 100 people, uh, those 100 people represented one-third of the world's wealth which he reckoned was about $40 trillion. 
depending upon whether you're American or English and how you count trillions and billions. But there was an awful lot of money in that room and an awful lot of power in that room. And the one thing that was really interesting was he says, actually, no one's got a plan. No one has a credible plan. Because no one knows exactly what's going to happen. Because everything that, that, that we thought was absolutely certain is becoming insecure. We, we, we didn't believe that things would vote the way they voted and go the way they went. So what can we bank on going forward? And so there has never been a more important time for us to be teaching through the series that we're teaching through right now on the Nicene Creed. I've never done it before. There has never been a more significant time for Christians, for believers in Jesus to work out what they believe and why they believe it where they're standing and whether they can, they can put the whole of the weight of their life on the thing they're standing on because the world is looking for an anchor for the soul. The world is looking for some stability and some hope for the future. In 325 AD, the greatest minds of Christendom came together, drawn by the Emperor Constantine, and they gathered a little... Uh, town on the northern shore of the Black Sea called Nicaea and they began to work out what is it we actually believe what is it we can stand the weight of our, of our life on and they came up with the statement that we've been teaching through and it's fundamentally important not so that we can just trot it out every Sunday and go blah blah blah, blah we believe in one not because of that stuff but because it provides a platform for us to adventure with God into a world that's desperately in, in need of it. When we say the creed together, it's like a revolt. It's like a rebellion against the predominant narrative. We're saying we believe in one God. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe in one holy Catholic apostolic church. And, and, and by implication, we're saying we don't believe in this. We don't believe in that. Or at least we're not going to put the whole of the weight of our life on this. We're not going to believe in individualism. Because although there's, there's something good about looking out for yourself, but ultimately if it becomes selfish, it denies you of relationship, denies you of really truly reflecting the image of God. We, we are not going to believe in consumerism. We're not going to put the weight of our life on that because that denies you in participating in the things of God because you're just saying, feed me, give me good stuff. And we, don't, we just don't believe in that. We're not going to believe in progressivism. We're not going to believe the fact that we're just getting better and better and better and smarter and smarter and smarter because we look at the news and we go, clearly that's not happening. We're not going to believe in that. We believe in one God, the creator of the universe. There has never been a more important time. As you, some of you guys are fresh as just arrived here at university, there has never been a more important time for you to work out what you believe and why you believe it. Because the world is shaking, and it needs shaping. And it will be shaping, shapen by the people who know what they believe and why. They stand the weight of their life on it. And so, uh, that was all very exciting. But we come to the, to, to the end, the climax of, of our series. And, and we're coming to what is, in many ways, the most enigmatic and the hugest of all the statements that we've dealt with. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. I mean, that's like a whole series, but we're going to do it in about half an hour, maybe. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life 
of the world to come. So would you turn in your Bibles? Kira stole my Bible. Thank you. And we're going to read together from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let me give you a context. The Apostle Paul is a great thinker. He's, he's got a, a smart mind. And, and the Apostle Paul has, um, has used his smart mind to persecute the Christian faith because it was offensive to him in so many ways. It was offensive to what he'd grown up with. It was, it was offensive to what he was standing the weight of his life on. And, uh, and so he, he uses his life to persecute this thing. And then Jesus meets him. And he encounters Jesus face to face. From that moment, everything changes. From that moment, he takes the weight of his life and he stands it on the belief in his heart that there is a God in heaven who loves him. And he starts to, to share his faith with people all over the world. And then he, he gets involved with this church in Corinth, which is pretty dysfunctional. And then he writes this letter to this church in Corinth. And he's trying, to, he's trying to talk to them about Jesus. And he's saying, Jesus was risen from the dead. He went to a cross and he died and he rose again from the dead. And because he rose from the dead, he's broken through this death barrier. And if you align your life with him and if you receive him into your life, then you too can go beyond the grave. You, you too can rise with him. Death is no longer the end. Death is just the beginning. It's like a gateway to life. Suddenly everything becomes possible for the people who align themselves with Jesus because he has smashed death. That's his argument. And I want you to read uh, just a couple of verses because we'll, we'll get to it. We're going all over the place today. So give me grace, please. Verse 20 of 1 Corinthians 15. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And, and, then, and then turn with me to verse 40. We'll explain that in a bit. But turn with me to verse 42. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable, but it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Let's just, let's just pray, shall we? Holy Spirit, we, we welcome you. We thank you that you've been present with us. We thank you that you're here. But we would appropriate your presence for our lives. So speak. For your servants are listening. Speak to educate. Speak to transform. Speak to encourage. Speak to challenge. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we look for the resurrection from the dead and the life of the world to come. And the first thing I want you to notice is the language has changed. Throughout the rest of the Nicene Creed, it's we believe, we believe, we believe, we believe, we believe. And now it turns to we look for the resurrection of the dead. It's not we believe, we, 
we look for. And, and that word look for is a word in the original Greek that is, that is kind of uh, full. It's, it, it, it's pregnant with expectation. It's a word of, of leaning towards. It means we're not just looking for, we're, we're, we're living with, with this hunger and this expectation because we know it's going to happen. And that, but this is so important because you and I as creatures of God are wired for hope. We're created with this irresistible need to hope in stuff. We're hope-orientated creatures. We're forward-leaning people. We're always hoping for something. At least I think we are, aren't we? So, so, so some of us today are hoping for... I, I'm hoping that Nikki gets the, 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 the messages, subliminal ones I'm giving to her about the Christmas present I want her to get me. I'm hoping for that. I'm hoping that, um, that England beat Australia next Saturday in the rugby and go a whole year... Uh, with, without losing um, I know lots of you are hoping that and some of you are hoping that really doesn't happen because the English when they win things are just unbearable and, 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 and some of you are hoping for things that are more important than that you're hoping that you find your life partner you, you are you're, you're, I mean, we probably wouldn't articulate that right now but that's what that's what's going on for some of you and you're, or you're hoping that you get a great job or you're, you're hoping in something the, the, the problem with that, that, that hope word is that, that this hope word, this we look for word, is very different from the hope word we have in our language. Because the hope word that we have in our language leaves a whole lot of room for skepticism and anxiety and, uh, and, and, and we're not exactly sure. It sows a seed of doubt. Are you coming to the winter ball? Well, hopefully... I'm coming to the winter ball. Will, will you make it? Hopefully, I'll, I'll, I'll make it. But, but, but when, it's, when, when in the Greek, it's, it's not that kind of wishful thinking thing that we use the word hope for. It's clarity and certainty and assurance. We are leaning forward into this thing with expectation because we know it's going to happen. It's just a matter of when rather than if it's going to happen. We are looking for the resurrection of the dead we're standing the weight of our life on it and we're leaning into it and if it doesn't happen we're going to fall flat on our face because we are hoping for this thing we are not afraid of death we are not afraid of death it has no fear for us and you say Carl yeah but we we are our culture does, doesn't it? Culture has a massive fear of death. It, it's so fearful of death that it denies death. We, don't, we can't even use the death word. We pass over, we pass on, we, we move on, we, we jokingly push up the daisies, we you know, kick the bucket, or what, we, we never die. We don't just die, we slip away. Why? Because we're dysfunctional around this thing called death. Our, our, our forefathers were much more honest about it. It's much more healthy. Uh, so, much, so much so that, that those who came before us who loved Jesus built their churches on graves. Sounds a bit weird, doesn't it? I mean, actually, when you worship in an old school Church of England building, you're actually sitting in the pews on the top of graves. The crypt is underneath you. They built their church on tombs. 
and you had to get through the graveyard into the church, which just sounds really creepy and really weird until you realize this. It's not very seeker-friendly, is it? Hi, come to our church. Say hi to the dead people on the way in. Don't worry about the dead people underneath us as we're worshiping Jesus. Just sounds a bit creepy and a bit weird. No, no, no. Because the cemetery for them was not a statement of the finality of life, but a signpost of hope. We are not afraid of death. We are hoping beyond death. We are leaning into a future of the resurrection of the dead. So, so they are not here. They are alive. They've risen. These are just signposts of hope for our life. We acknowledge and we look to the resurrection of the dead. We are not afraid. What are you hoping in? What are you afraid of? We hope beyond death. We hope, we hope beyond governments. We hope beyond political systems. You know, the kingdom of God subverts and smashes political systems and political parties and, uh, and politicians and, and leaders. It is, it is uh, underneath and beyond all those things. We hope, in, we hope in the kingdom of God. We don't hope in Democrat or Republican or Labour or Conservative. We are beyond that stuff, which doesn't mean we don't vote and it doesn't mean we don't support and it doesn't mean we don't get politically active. It just means that we believe in something bigger and something stronger and we hope in it and we stand the weight of our life on it because you cannot stand the weight of your life on political systems and structures. We look for the resurrection of the dead. Allow me just for a few moments to paint a biblical picture of the future. And, and I might get a bit weird here, but stay with me because I think this is really important. We don't talk about this stuff very much. I want to talk about the body and death because the Apostle Paul makes this argument in, in 1 Corinthians 15. And, and, and what he's saying really is this, very, very simply. He's saying, you have a physical, spiritual, resurrected body there is coming a time when you will be raised from the dead if you believe in Jesus and what will be raised will be a physical body. In other words, you're not going to be a ghost. You're not going to float around on the clouds. You're not going to look like Cupid. You're not going to play a harp. Uh, you're not going to have wings. Well, you might, I, I don't know. Maybe it gives you extra wings if you do good stuff. Ignore that. Take, scrap that from the, from the tape. But... <laughs> But you're not, it's, you're not going to be a ghost. You're going to be a physical being. You're going to have a body. What kind of body? How do, how do we know that? Well, look, look, because Jesus had a body. And Paul has made the argument in verse 20 that Jesus is the first fruits, meaning the model. He's the foretaste. And Jesus, when he was risen from the dead, looked like a man, didn't he? Mary, Mary mis, mistook him for a gardener in the garden. He looked like a man. He, he was someone that you could touch. He was someone that taught. He was someone that you could sit with. He, he had a fish supper on the beach. He, he has a body. And so will you. Don't, don't make your body bad. Or ignore it. Because what you have eventually will be, will be physical. My hope is, is, is that in 10,000 years' time, I will be me worshipping Jesus. That's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping 10,000 years' time, I'm still going to be me. Maybe physically a bit better, maybe six-pack. But, but I'm going to be me. 
and I'm going to be worshiping Jesus. I'm going to be, I mean, I'm going to be glorified me worshiping Jesus. I'm going to have a nose and ears and physical traits. But the Bible is very, very honest about your physical being. It basically says this is not built for eternity. You're not built for eternity. What you got here, the physical stuff's not built for eternity. I'm 48 years of age and everything is going south. It just is. Everything's kind of, you know, it's just, that's just what happens. Everything goes downhill, whatever. I try really hard. I do press-ups in the morning, the whole whole thing. But actually, my body is not ultimately going to get physically better. It's just not. Whatever whatever I do, however much, and I'm trying to keep myself fit because I I only get this thing to get through this life. But, But there's a descent going on. For me, sometimes I think it's dangerous for me to sleep because I could get hurt. You know, I could put my back out or my neck out or something. Oof, sleep too, sleep too. That's sad, isn't it? Well, that's what I say is gravity. Some of you just don't understand this. You're going, what? What's he talking about? But you will. You will. You're going to get sick. Your mind is going to say things that your body will not do. I stopped playing football because my mind knew exactly what to do. My body couldn't get there. And when I tried to get there, I pulled something. Because I've still got this. And I still think I'm 25, but my body doesn't think I'm 25 anymore. This is perishing. Look, look at what Paul says. It, it will be sown into the ground with dishonor. Very few people die pretty. Death is an ugly, ugly thing. You lose your dignity when you die but Paul says this that's not how you're going to get raised (laughs) see this is perishable but when I'm resurrected it will be imperishable I will be sown in dishonor I will be raised in honor I will die in weakness I'll be raised in strength The, 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 um, the early church father Augustine of Hippo I think if you're going to come from a place and be an early church father you ought to come from Hippo a very cool place to come from. Augustine, he, he wrote this book called The City of God, which is one of the, the classics of, of, of church history. And, uh, and, and he, in, in that book, he talks a lot about hope and the future and about the bodily process. And he says this, this is going to sound weird, but stay with me. He says that, that the bodily processes that you have right now that exist to defend and protect and filter and keep you alive will no longer need to do that in a resurrected body. Because your body is being glorified. And instead, that energy will contribute to the praise of Jesus. I hope that doesn't weird you out. In other words, this way. The liver will not need to filter out blood in the resurrected body. It just won't need to. And so what it does is it joins in with its energy and its vitality in praising Jesus. Your skin will not need to, to, to black out, block out disease in your glorified body. The systems that are meant to protect us no longer need to protect us. So what they do is they join with greater vitality in the worship of Jesus. So all the energy of your body, everything that's doing what it's doing right now, is joined up to worship Jesus and glorify Jesus in your glorified body. Isn't that a wonderful thought? That's what's happening. No longer need to protect yourself because there's nothing to protect yourself from. I I don't know if this works for you. 
But I wonder if you could, if you could have a 10,000 year perspective. If you could look back on yourself from 10,000 years, what would your 10,000 year old self say to your now self? About your fear and your concern, about your, about your pain and your sorrow and your difficulty. I think your 10,000 year old self would say, yeah, I know that, I can see that, I, I understand that. I'm not belittling that. But check this out. Check this out. This is just a moment. Check this out. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. We do not fear death and we hope for life. That, that, that phrase, the life of the world to come, literally means the life of the age to come. In other words, the Greek word is not cosmos. It's not the world. It's more eon or, or, um, or epoch. It's, it's, it's more an age to come. It's, it's the life of the kingdom of God is what we're being taught right here. We, we, we look for the life of the world to come. And once again, we're talking first fruits because it wasn't just Jesus who came to, to, to break through the barrier of death. He came to introduce the kingdom of God and said, didn't he, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's so close you can reach out and touch it. And every single time you see healing happen on this planet today, what you're being given is a foretaste of what is to come, the kingdom of God, where there'll be no more disease and no more sorrow and no more pain. Every single time you see an encounter with Jesus, a passionate encounter with Jesus, you're just being given a foretaste of what it will be like in the kingdom of God when you and God will be face to face and there'll be nothing between you and God and God and you. Every single time you see an act of kindness or generosity or just sacrificial love, what you're being given is a foretaste of what the kingdom of God looks like where you won't be able to get away from sacrificial love and kindness and care and compassion and mercy because that's the stuff of Jesus' life. Have you ever, have you ever asked yourself the question, what's eternal life going to look like? None of you. I, I do quite a lot. Of I, I, I used to worry an awful lot that it was just singing. Oh, my word. You know, I kind of like singing, but, but you know, give me half an hour of it and then I want to do something else. Uh, you know, I, so, so I used to ask God, I'm serious, no word of life. I used to say, God, can I watch rugby in heaven? Can I play golf in heaven? Can I drink red, red wine in heaven? Can I, and I, I kind of think, this is off the record between you and me and nobody else. I kind of think, yes, all that stuff. I don't know how the competitive thing works in heaven. I don't know how you can win. I'm sure you can win because it wouldn't be so much fun if you can't win. But <laughs> that's just nonsense. <laughs> I just kind of, I don't know how it all works. I kind of think it's not like 24-7 Tim Hughes. Not that I, if you're listening, Tim. <laughs> this is going no place good. But the, what the Bible does say is this. Here we go. Revelation 21. We have limited time, so I want, I want to run through this quickly. In my physically resurrected body, I'm going to have life everlasting. The thrust of Revelation 21, if you're thinking about what does heaven look like, what does it look like, is that you are home with God and God is home with you. I have this thing that every anxiety in your life, every searching, every longing, every ache is just homesickness for heaven. 
disciples, you were made to be at home with God. One day when Jesus wraps the whole thing up, we will be home with God. Kingdom will be all there is, unopposed. You're just homesick for heaven. That's what's going on here. You won't need faith then. All this stuff will not, we, you won't have this in heaven. This is not going to be, you don't have to worry about this stuff because you don't need faith in heaven because Jesus is there and God is there and it's just, you don't need to have, have faith to believe. It's just, it's, it's just you and God, God and you at home with God and hope will be realized. Here's what it looks like, verse four. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death will be no more. No more funerals. No more bad news. Death is done. No more separations. No more divorce. No more abuse. No more pain. No more anxiety. No more worry. Neither shall there be any mourning. Why? Because we mourn loss. But when you're home with God... There'll be no more lack and no more gap and no more loss. You're not going to be going around going, oh man, that hurt. I miss that or I miss them. Or no, 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 no. There just won't be anything left to mourn because there'll be nothing lacking and nothing missing. So you'll have an absence of, of need to mourn for anything. There'll be no more crying and no more pain anymore. There'll be no more pain anymore. There will be no more pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And look, and he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Oh my word, that's a whole sermon series right there. Can you imagine what God making all things new looks like? Can you imagine all the scars in the created order being mended by the creator of the universe going, oh, they messed that up, let's mend that. Can you, can you imagine what that would look like? God is restoring all things and making all things new. But what does it look like for you? Do you know what everlasting life looks like? Let, let me try this for a second. This is just my opinion, but, but it might even be right. How many, how many of you have been marked by a tragedy or a specific event that has shaped your life in a way that you're still trying to work out and figure out? I'm sure that most people in this room either have or will be marked by something. Something that's happened to you that shouldn't have happened to you. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a cancer. Maybe it's an, an illness. Maybe it's a tragedy. Maybe it's... Maybe someone did something they shouldn't have done. And you're still trying to bounce back from that. You, you've tried the forgiveness thing and you've done the forgiveness thing and you felt forgiven and you've offered forgiveness and you've been for healing prayer and you've received healing prayer, but there's still, there's still a scar. You know, I, I, I know a husband that died, wife not here anymore, children who died before their time, separation, divorce. Or you made choices that hurt people. You made choices that hurt yourself. And, and although you've, you've received forgiveness for the stuff and you've, you've worked it all through, you still live with that. There's still, there's still scars in that. There are anxieties. Forgive me, I'm not trying to play on your stuff. But what I want to say is those things leave marks. Some, some people in this room have, have experienced abuse. That, that, kind of, that, that kind of thing leaves what I call a soul wound 
It's not easy to recover from. You can recover from it, but it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not easy. And, and then there's all the stuff that we carry because we, we're messed up, broken individuals. You know, the sin that we're predisposed to. The, uh, we, we, we all have stuff. Where we, where we make two steps forward and then we're two steps back and we're trying to do the thing, we're trying to deal with the thing and we're never quite getting beyond the thing because we're broken individuals in a broken world. Do you know what everlasting life looks like? Do you know what hope is? All this stuff is gone. All of it. No more pain, no more memory, no more scars because they got mended. No more energy, no more vitality, no more mind space having to work through this or figure that out or try and forget it. It's just over because it's everlasting life and it's you and God and God and you and it's done. And he who's seated on the throne said, behold, I'm making all things new. He says, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, listen to this, it is done. It is done. It's healed. It's forgiven. It's cleansed. It's wiped out. Come on in and receive the reward. Come on in, good and faithful servant. It's done forever. We lean into and look for the resurrection from the dead and the life of the world to come. We stand the weight of our life on this stuff, not on that stuff, not on this political party or that financial solution or this relationship or or this philosophical position. We stand the weight of our life on the fact that there is a God in heaven who is truly God, who has a plan for our lives, who's done something about it, who sent his son into this world. His son demonstrates God to us. He set his face towards the cross and he's died. He's risen from the dead and he's broken through the barrier of sin and death and hell and he's made a way for us and we stand the weight of our life on the fact that there is hope in this world and hope is a person called Jesus that's that's what these guys are saying isn't it basically that's what these guys are saying they're saying hope is a person we believe in one Lord Jesus Christ the son of God God from God light from light true God from true God for us and for our salvation he came down He was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried on the third day. He rose in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and seated at the right hand of God. He will come again in glory to judge the quick and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. We stand the weight of our life on the person of Jesus Christ. The framers wrote it. Jesus says it. I am the way and the truth and the life. In a world that is VUCA, volatile, uncertain, complex, and angry, I am the way. There's no other way. In a world that is fearful, I am the truth. It's not random truth, anyone's truth. I'm definitive truth. You can stand the weight of your life on me. In in a world where life is so often a pretense and a sham, I am life in all its fullness. Will you trust me? Will you trust me? 
the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. So you may feel anxious. I don't blame you. But you don't need to be anxious. Because we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. comes and he shines hope and he vanquishes fear and he offers life and as we close our study in this creed it is only right and proper that I give everyone in this room an opportunity to say do you know what I'm in I'm going to stand my life for what it's worth on the truth of who God is. And, and I'm not going to trust in kings or rulers or policies or finances or relationships or even in me. I'm going to trust in him. The only way to do that is to accept Jesus. And so what I'm going to do in the quietness is if you, if you would love, maybe for the first time, to say, yeah, I'm in. Maybe you've been coming for weeks and weeks and you've sat on the edge of this and thought, this is cool, the band is good, and the guy rants. But tonight, you know God has been speaking. I'll tell you how you know God's been speaking. There's been this irresistible voice inside of you that wasn't me, going, this is true, this is right, this is knocking away, going, this is true, this is right. If, if, if you would want to just say, I'm in, I'm done trusting myself, I want hope in life. I don't want to fear anymore. Then with every head bowed and every eye closed, why don't you just raise your hand and I'd love to pray for you. Um, just do it right now. Just raise your hand. I'd love to pray for you. Bless you. Raise it high so I can see. Thank you. Yeah, bless you. Thank you. Yeah. I see you. Okay, well, if you raise your hand, a number of you here, just pray this prayer in your own heart after me and as you do that uh, I, I believe that Jesus will come and make his home in you and things begin to change Jesus I trust you I've done with trusting me I trust your promises and I trust your work and now would you come into my life and bring your hope and your life? Would you come in, would you be my leader? Would you come and be my rescuer? Would you come and be my guide and friend? And would you lead my life? I want to lean into you and stand the weight of my life on you. 